0: でお<音楽> And welcome to another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish, a weekly podcast coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan Schreiber, and I am sitting here with James Harkin, Andrew Hunter-Murray, and Anna Chazinski. And once again, we have gathered around the microphones with our four favorite facts from the last seven days. And in no particular order, here we go. Starting with fact number one, and that is my fact. My fact this week is that a pub in London has just renamed itself The Bill Murray. However, because they couldn't get his permission, they had to name it after William Murray, who was King Charles I's whipping boy instead. <laughs> yes, so this is a this is a pub uh, in Angel, North London, and they wanted to give tribute as a fact that they were renovating the pub and renaming right. it. Um, but there's a law that you can't name a thing like a pub after a living person unless you get their... Absolute is permission, there? yeah. So oh. that's why yeah. they needed his permission. Which I did not know. Oh, that's, okay.
1: That's I, why you don't see pubs called like the Piers Morgan everywhere. Yeah, yes. it. Yeah.
2: Did he try to get Bill Murray's permission? Yeah,
0: they did quite a few things. They found a friend of Bill Murray's brother, who they got in contact with. <laughs> um, Bill Murray famously doesn't have an agent, but there's a number that you can call him on and propose projects. And uh, he, um, or they offer left...
2: parts to. Presumably, that's the main function of yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Actually.
0: Exactly. So he, it's, his answer phone is his agent, and he yeah. listens to them. So I think they left a few. <laughs> messages on that and they were going to take an ad out in the newspaper in the local city where he lives so that he might see it just in the paper but then they thought that's a bit creepy so yeah they didn't do that yeah yeah
2: He's um, he's such a fun guy, Bill Murray. He's always crashing random people's parties, isn't he? Yes,
0: yeah. He's a bit of a legendary character in that sense. Do you think
2: yeah. it's because
1: he assumes he's been invited but hasn't got the invite? <laughs> <so>. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, he went to a 22-year-old Norwegian student's party, I think, and then started doing the washing up halfway through it which is such a massive sacrifice if you've ever washed up anything at a student's party. That's amazing.
0: Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's, there's a lot of these stories and the assumption is that they're all fake and so actually there has been a site that's set up where you can share your personal Bill Murray stories. I think it's called BillMurrayStories.com It's a good name. Yeah, yeah I, it's confusing I, though, right? <laughs> um, but so yeah, so like all these stories, it turns out they are true. <laughs> of people constantly submitting stories
3: about William,
1: the childhood <laughs> whipping boy of Charles I?
3: <laughs>
1: actually, you should, you should Explain what a whipping boy is,
0: yeah. yeah So, being non British, uh, I had never heard of a whipping boy until I heard about William Murray, and oh. it is unbelievable the idea of a whipping boy. This is back, uh, King Charles I, so he was 1600s. And what would happen is, as a child, if the prince was naughty, there was this rule where you couldn't hit them and you couldn't uh, make them be disciplined off of yeah. the back of a slap or anything. So, they had a best friend who was called the whipping boy. If they did anything bad, their best friend
3: would get beaten for it. They <laughs> tried to encourage friendship between the whipping boy and the young prince so that the prince would have an incentive not to behave badly.
2: Do you know what an even bigger incentive would be if the prince actually just got whipped every time he behaved I badly? I
3: but the divine right of kings. It's an absolute kicker. Yeah. So that was yeah. it, wasn't
2: it? It was because kings are ruled by divine right and so no one's allowed to punish the king yeah. except God himself. Although
3: Charles I did later go on to be punished in a very big way <laughs> by Parliament. He, oh, yeah, <laughs> he wasn't able to nominate Bill Murray to be executed in his place.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I struggle to find evidence that much whipping was done with the whipping boys <laughs> right. um, and whether it was a bit of a nominal thing mm. um, an Id- idealised thing and actually it was a really privileged position wasn't it so yeah. he eventually was given a great estate somewhere and they often were knighted or became important members of the nobility. Mm. There was
1: um, a historical society I read about where they had a debate about whether William Murray actually liked Charles I or not Uh and they did a big debate and they all voted that he would definitely not have liked Charles (laughs) I. How come? Well, because he was getting beaten up every time. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, I forgot about that bit. (laughs) Because let's be honest, all kids are little shits, aren't they? (laughs) So what you would do is just, you would always at least be threatening your friends that you're going to, I'm going to do something naughty and you're going to get beat up (laughs) Yeah, you
2: would and actually even if I do it to my best friend if I was 10 even if it was your friend friend doesn't mean much when you're 10 years old except someone to be tortured Hmm, Mm. Uh, Mm. what? (laughs) (laughs) Explain why you've
3: made no significant personal relationships (laughs) in your life Anna
0: I discovered another role which you three might know but I think uh, non-brits won't know the necessary woman. Yeah the Necessary Woman was someone who was effectively a personal cleaner to the king, and had the uh, what was seen as a very, very important job of emptying the uh, the chamber pot, the chamber pot, yeah. the toilet. Oh. That yeah. was that was seen as like a high privilege. But the title was the Necessary Woman.
2: Well, is there anything more necessary than someone tipping the poo out of your toilet? No, there is not. <laughs> 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 um, so there's also a whipping father in existence. Uh, yeah, I'm surprised that I hadn't come across this. Uh, but this is a Christmas character who is a French Christmas character who accompanies St. Nicholas on his rounds on St. Nicholas Day on the 6th of December. And St. Nicholas, tradition has it, goes around and dispenses nice stuff to children who've done well. But he's also accompanied by the whipping father, the Père Fouetard, who judges whether or not a child's been naughty and if it has, whips it. What? Where is this? Uh, France and Belgium.
0: Wow. <laughs> and is Santa cool with this? feels
1: like he should step in.
2: Santa's pro, yeah. Santa is an ass. Like, if you think about it, because he
1: is deciding on whether people get gifts or not. Yeah, who made him,
2: like, moral arbiter of what's right and wrong? He
1: he has the authority. (laughs) Yeah. Father (laughs) Christmas knows he has a list. But he only checks it twice. Like I've loads of things I've checked twice, and then the third time I've realised it was a mistake. That's true. Most
3: of the job of Father Christmas is data entry, (laughs) (laughs) and then there's a brief couriering service at the end of it.
1: Can you
0: imagine that? You're you're given this amazing role of being Sanch, and you didn't realise that for 364 days it's admin, it's Excel, it's all spreadsheets. (laughs) (laughs) There are columns. Check
3: one. Check two. (laughs) Presents delivered. Child whip question mark (laughs) (laughs) just while we're on whipping boys and people being punished for things that aren't their fault so this kind of extended into adulthood as well so henry the fourth of france he uh became catholic or he had a, a ceremony with the catholic church in 1593 but he obviously had to do penance so what he did instead he sent two ambassadors to rome and he said to the pope Look, if I've done anything wrong, just punish these guys, will you? And these two ambassadors were beaten on the steps of St. Peter's while singing the miserere <laughs> by, um, by the representatives of the Pope. Wow. wow. Yeah.
2: Oh, so the Pope didn't even go out and beat them himself. <laughs> he sent bloody representatives <laughs> yeah. out saying, if you need to be beaten, please let my representatives do it. Yeah, the Pope is very to... much the
1: Father Christmas in this situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, um, some other William Murrays. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, we've got Bill Murray, haven't we? And we've got the whipping boy, uh, William Murray. Yeah. There's a William Murray who wrote the Peter and Jane books. Do you remember those? No. Those children's books. 80 million of these were sold around the world, and they're extremely kind of simple books like Peter Plays with the Ball, Jane Climbs a Hill, stuff like that. He works out that 12 words make a quarter of all words used by children. Wow, and they are a and he i in is it of that the two and was, and so he <laughs> wrote all these books to kind of just try and teach you those words first, because if you can get those ones nailed, then the other twenty thousand that you learn just kind I'd of love come it immediately.
2: Please tell me he wrote the books just including all of those words, which is just a sequence of prepositions <laughs> and conjunctions, <laughs> <laughs> no, no nouns, no verbs,
3: just you can say that was I. If you're a pirate child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, that would be page one.
2: What have <laughs> you got for page two? Ooh, that was she. <laughs> <laughs> she isn't one of them.
1: Oh, and um, there was a guy called William Murray who uh, invented vacations. Oh, oh yeah. wow. Um, what do you mean? Well, the they concept used, of
0: vacationing?
1: Yeah, so he was American and he there's a mountain range called the Ad Irondax, And he used to take people up there to um, go walking. And it used to be that you would call it a holiday. The British people called it a holiday. But he called it kind of vacating your home and going to these mountains. And so he kind of coined the word vacation. Wow. So mean A time when you go away. That's very cool.
2: Yeah. yeah. Vacation really sounds like an advertisement to burglars, doesn't it? You're actively yeah. saying, oh I'm yeah. emptying my house for the week.
1: I think it sounds Medical. Do you yeah. yes. like vacating your bowels? Yes, I'm afraid oh. so. <laughs> I'm afraid so. A <laughs> what? It's like you're talking to your necessary woman. I'm afraid <laughs> I vacated. Uh, Once again,
2: it's not the kind of vacation you were hoping to have with me. <laughs>
0: okay, uh, we're going to have to move on to our next facts soon. Um, Shall we, can
2: we just say a couple of things about pubs? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, bizarre coincidence... The pub with the longest name in the country is in the same town as the pub with the shortest name in the country, which is Staley Bridge. Uh, oh, yeah. And I think this is actually like, it's, it's almost in Manchester. But yeah, isn't that weird? So it's got the Q Inn, which is just a Q, and then it's got the longest name pub in the country, which is the Old 13th Cheshire Astley Volunteer Rifleman Corps Inn. Also,
3: there are four pubs in the UK called the Blob Shop. <laughs> <laughs>
2: If that's a derogatory reference to women's menstrual cycles, then I, I think know. that's not okay. I'm
3: afraid it is.
2: <laughs> oh, that kind of vacation again.
0: <laughs> the, um, I got this fact from Chortle, the, the comedy website. They reported on the fact that they were changing the name. And at the bottom of the article, they had a link to other comedian named oh. pubs. So uh, these were all in the UK. Um, there's the Eric Bartholomew, and that's in Morecambe. And that's Aww. after Eric right. Morgan. Yeah, nice. Very lovely. Nice. Um, there's the Four Candles in Oxford, which is a tribute to the Ronnie mm. Barker, the two Ronnie sketch. Charlie Chaplin has one in Elephant and Castle but it's being demolished but in the article they point out that it might not actually be missed because the online reviews for it include Unremitting Horror and What a Shithole. <laughs> oh, <laughs> so, I'll go. Yeah, well I think, it, I think it's been demolished now unfortunately. Uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Very quickly, in 2013 a glittering ceremony to reward pubs and clubs in Wigan for preventing night scene violence ended in a fight. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, it is time
0: for fact number two, and that is James.
1: Okay, my fact this week is that it is impossible to paint a picture with the world's blackest black and the world's pinkest pink. Just because it's a really bad clash. (laughs) (laughs) It would be, wouldn't it?
2: Uh, Actually, I think they go very nicely together, but why is it impossible?
1: So um, the pinkest pink has been invented by an artist called Stuart Semple, and he sort of has control of this pigment. But the Black is Black is under control of another artist called Anish Kapoor. And Anish Kapoor doesn't want anyone else to use it. And so Stuart Semple has said, anyone can use my pink apart from Anish Kapoor. (laughs) Uh, When you go onto his website to buy it, you have to promise that you are not Anish Kapoor. You are no way affiliated with Anish Kapoor. (laughs) You are not purchasing this item on behalf of Anish Kapoor or an associate of Anish Kapoor. To the best of your knowledge, information, and belief, this paint will not make its way into the hands of Anish Kapoor. (laughs) It's such a nice idea. So (laughs) basically, everyone in the world can use the pink, apart from anish kapoor and only anish kapoor no one else in the world can use the black
3: yeah it's very cool so the w- the way that they measure the blackest black is that it's how much light it absorbs and reflects and this uh blackest black absorbs all but 0.035% of the light that you shine on it, which is very black indeed. Um, mm-hmm. And the previous record was 0.04, so it's kind of incrementally mm. increasing. Uh, they can only make tiny amounts of it as well, so he can't really paint a huge amount. Uh, when he started, they could make two square centimetre uh, mm. patches of it. So. Don't go do a mural. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's made of these uh, stems of colour, which are really, really, really tall and not at all white. So it's like the forest of palm trees basically when
1: you say really tall you mean not really tall. i mean tiny
3: absolutely (laughs) tiny sorry (laughs) (laughs) Uh, what i mean is they're 300 times as tall as they are wide um and so it's a One of the guys said it's like splitting a hair 10,000 times to make one of these things. And then when you shine a light in it, it gets reflected all around inside this forest of uh, pine trees, basically, until it gets absorbed and dissipated as heat. So the light turns into heat because it can't can't make its way out.
2: The moon absorbs 88% of the light that hits it, so it only reflects 12% of visible light. So the moon, which always looks obviously white to us, um, or bright, silvery, actually is the colour of worn pavement. Yeah. And wow. that's because it's
1: against an extremely dark sky. Is yeah. that right? yeah. um, Actually, comets are even more absorbent of light. Oh. Um, mm. Only 2 to 4% of light is reflected. So actually, they're extremely dark, but again, they're against a the night sky, so you can kind of see them better. Um, oh to compare that, a lump of coal is about 8%. Oh, oh really? Wow. So they're so four they times darker than a lump of coal. That's amazing.
2: Mm. So that's the moon is almost the color of a lump of coal, really. Yeah. Wow. Pretty much, yeah. Ah. Yeah.
1: Hmm. Um, on pink, mm.
0: got a question for you guys. Mm. What color is pink? It's like a mixture of white and red. No. No. Oh. Pink is dark yellow. No. Yeah, Ooh. originally if you if you go to the originally originally <laughs> there, the revamp. what Stop. So I, I was reading this book called The Accidental Dictionary. It's by Paul Anthony Jones, otherwise known as Haggard Hawks on Twitter. and in it uh, he points out that back in the mid15th century pink was a yellowish or greenish yellow lake pigment made by combining a vegetable coloring matter with a white base. So originally wow. that's what pink was defined as as a uh, that's yeah, amazing. as what? a dark yellow. What's interesting as well is they, they're not quite sure about the etymology of the word pink, but there's a lot of theories, and one of the theories is that um, it comes from a German word, which is pinkeln, and that means to piss, so the colour
3: of dark urine. And that's why a sits is someone who sits down to go to the loo.
1: Oh, and that's yeah. why in during the World Cup or the Euros when they were in Germany... Um, they had a problem with um football fans urinating everywhere, and they called it the Pinkle problem oh. yeah, okay. yeah.
2: it was also very manly, used to be very masculine, so Ooh. pink mm. was seen as a version of red, which was a kind of a warlike colour, and so pink was the color that men would wear. And I think there's a quote even from 1918, a trade catalogue in 1918, which recommends blue for girls' clothes, for young girls' clothes, and pink for boys' clothes. Because
1: blue was the colour of the Virgin Mary as well, so you'd have pink... Pink for boys, blue for girls. Yeah.
3: Even in 1927, I found a thing from Time magazine. There mm-hmm. was a princess who'd given birth, and they said, oh, we were hoping for a boy, but unfortunately we painted you know—we painted the nursery pink to get ready for it, and unfortunately it's a girl, so we've got to repaint the nursery. <laughs> well, she's
1: a princess
3: as well. That's yeah. kind of... <laughs>
1: it's true. It's, yeah, it's really strange. If you're a flamingo, <laughs> and you're sure. pink, like mm-hmm. a little bit pink, I'm talking about the modern-day colour pink here. If you're a little bit pink, and you've got a mate who's really pink, your mate who's really pink will be more popular than you... Oh. Uh. The more pink you are, the more popular you are as a flamingo. How do you get more pink? Eat more algae. Right. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So it's I mean that's
0: really achievable.
1: Uh, <laughs> 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 it's something to aim for at least, right. isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, There's a study uh by Paul Rose at the University of Exeter. Paul Rose. Rose. Oh, yes, yeah. 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 that's it. Yeah.
2: Just on flamingos, Mm. you guys all have to watch uh, David Attenborough's Planet Earth 2 and I don't know if you guys have seen it. Did you see the one this week? It focused on some flamingos which live up in the Andes, I think. They're the flamingos that live higher than any other flamingo in the world. So it's one of these places which is extremely hot in the daytime and extremely cold overnight and the lake they sit in freezes overnight and they just stand there and it freezes over their legs. And then in the morning they have to spend a couple of hours pulling their legs out of the ice and then trying to walk to the shore and then falling back into the ice. You
1: would think that one flamingo would have worked out maybe that we should go and sit on a tree or something. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> yeah.
2: happens every night. I mean, come on, guys, stand on the bank.
3: Yeah. I think we've said before that the, the inside of their eggshells is pink. Oh, And yeah. that the yolks of their eggs is pink. I yeah. think we've mentioned that before on yeah. this podcast. Yeah.
0: Also, we only mentioned this on the TV show, so a lot of the podcast listeners might not have heard this, but we got sent in a news story that Australia has one flamingo is that oh right? Yeah. Was it the flamingo? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, was it, it was. flamingo? There's yeah. one flamingo, and it's uh, it's like
2: 85 years old it's or something. A really old <laughs> flamingo. Hey, if you want the accurate version of that fact, rather than the misremembered one, you should watch our TV show. <laughs> no <laughs> such thing as the news.
3: Absolutely seamless. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know I was being advertised to, and yet I found myself watching the show. Um, I saw flamingos earlier this year for Did the first you? time in my life. Yeah,
1: that time in your life. Yeah. Oh. Sorry,
3: <laughs> I mean, I've grown up in South London. Don't do they you know? not
1: have them in St. James's Park? All right, like it's, <laughs> it's, it's flamingo <laughs> in St. <Saint laughs> James's It's literally <laughs> 500 metres away.
2: <laughs> they d- they don't have flamenco do. in St. James's Park. They do.
3: Okay, clearly, uh, all right, I saw them in Spain for the first time in my life. It was the first time I've been to Sp- all right? Go um,
2: on, tell us in St. James's. Are park. Are you sure words? they weren't
1: flamenco? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: The women dancing (laughs) flamingos. (laughs) The women stuck in ice overnight.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They lay pink eggs, did you know? (laughs) Um,
3: So it was in the 19th century. It was when they installed all the birds for the first time in the parks. And they brought over these beautiful exotic birds and they put them in. And people uh, went along in their hundreds to throw stones at them to kill them. No. Yes, wow. that was a huge. Sh- it was and it was like um you know it was like a coconut shy at a fair. There was you know they would cheer whenever they got an especially big or beautiful one of the birds with a no. stone. No. Yeah, they killed them by the dozen.
2: Um, just on colors. Mm. Uh. Do you know how purple was first made? By the muric snail. Oh, oh, no, I mean made by humans, synthetic purple. This was first made by a guy called William Henry Perkin, and he was the first person ever to synthetically make colours. So we used to get colours from natural dyes that mm. existed in the world, like from beetles or, or shells or whatever. Um, and this was in the 1850s, and he accidentally made purple while trying to cure malaria and Mm. so that feels like a gain for the world in one sense but a loss in another he was trying to synthesize quinine uh, which would help cure malaria and he failed to do it but then he was rinsing out his flask with alcohol afterwards and he realized it created this purple solution and that meant that he could make purple and that was vital because dye was so expensive before uh, 9,000 mollusks were needed to create one gram of tyrian purple one gram gram. from (laughs) 9,000
3: mollusks no surely not so
2: apparently (laughs) one gram I I know I know
3: I can't but surely that would have got you a toga or something so
2: you own no I think a toga was many many thousands you you needed a million (laughs) mollusks to get a single Roman toga I just I don't believe it only royalty ever wore purple because they didn't have enough mollusks in the world for anyone else
1: (laughs) did the world just used to be completely full of mollusks (laughs) (laughs) there were trillions and trillions of mollusks everywhere yeah it did have you heard of
3: International Klein Blue Just while we're on the invention of colours. Mm. And while we're on patented colours as well. So, uh, Eve Klein, the famous artist in the 60s. And in in, in 1960, Klein patented a colour which he had kind of helped to develop. So, this is not the first time someone's patented a colour. And he called it International Klein Blue. And he did a series of shows uh, where he splashed it on nude models uh, in a series of kind of artistic events that The Guardian described as sexist even by 1960s standards. Wow! (laughs) Um, But that colour, Klein is dead now. Mm -hmm. The colour lives on. Do you know where? Um, uh, think something that's blue. Yeah, a Blue Man Group. The Blue Man Group. No, no. you're yes. kidding. Paint Good. themselves. Blimey, <laughs> <Dan>. Impressive. Whoa.
1: <laughs> Name something blue. <laughs> 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 he oh, came maybe. with that straight away. Yep. <laughs> yep. International okay. Klein blue is the colour they paint themselves. Um, wow. So yeah. was Eve Klein the one who had a art exhibition? He was in his blue phase and everyone came and there was just no art anywhere and they just drank the champagne and left and they're all like, where the hell's all the art? But what he'd done would put something in their drink which made their urine blue. And so the exhibition was when they went for a pee afterwards. Yeah, it's so cool. Yeah, That's very cool.
0: Uh, He's not the only person to have invented a blue... There's a new blue on the scene. Is there? Yeah. Uh, it's called uh, Jay Z Blue. It's Jay Z wow. who invented a blue, <laughs> or he had his team of designers you invent would a You think that blue. the band
1: Blue should have invented a new blue? Yeah. <laughs> that would have been clever. And but... then for the
3: painting instructions, it could just say dabba dee dabba
1: dike. <laughs> that's <laughs> that was. Other, that's... Can I just say, you should think Eiffel 65 should have invented a blue? Now your joke makes sense. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> So
0: Jay-Z Blue, just very quickly, it's a silverfish colour, uh, has tiny flecks of platinum in it. And the idea (laughs) is that he wanted his own colour because he's going to be releasing a lot of Jay-Z edition style things like jeeps and (laughs) motorboats. And he wants Jay-Z Blue to be the colour, the unifying colour. Pink should make her own pink, shouldn't she?
3: Oh yeah. pop star pink. It's a great idea. I do know something about Jonathan Green and his Dictionary of Slang. Uh, yeah. But it's about pink. So um, I was reading through all the entries on pink in that book. And there was a gang in Ireland in the 1700s called the Dindies. Mm. and what they were they were a gang of rich young men who like causing trouble and they like getting into fights and the way they would get into fights with people is they would cut off the bottom few inches of their scabbards on their swords so basically the bottom inch or two of their sword is poking out at the end and then they'd slowly prick people that they were next to with their swords <laughs> to <laughs> make them angry and get the, get into
1: fights with them do yeah. you think it's pinking like pinking shears I bet it is isn't it Ooh, that's pink yeah. yeah.
2: and then was, was there a spin off called the pinky mm. dindies who did it with their pinky <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay it is time for fact number three and that is anna chesinski
2: my fact this week is that at least 30 percent of the cocaine in america arrives by submarine
0: this is, amazing. is amazing. Or get
2: there via submarine. So I didn't know about narco subs, but they're a big deal. And so a lot of the cocaine in America comes from Colombia, and it tends to be transported by submarine to Mexico, and then I think often makes it overland from there. But I also read something in Time magazine which said that in 2009 – experts estimated that 70 percent of the cocaine that was leaving Colombia left Colombia in narco subs wow so it all goes away in submarines how cool is that
0: they've not bought the submarines off uh navies like <laughs> they're not old submarines they've mm. made these submarines so yeah. they're sort of homemade submarines i'm sure there's engineers that are very qualified to make it but
2: they're pretty cobbled they make them in the jungle and yeah quite exactly cobbled together
3: yeah they're not then yeah imagine just traveling that far underwater in a thing that there was one they found where the flippers to control the rising and sinking of the submarine were controlled by go kart steering wheels. <gasps> really, so they're quite steampunky. No. And they've there are pictures online, the amazing photo galleries of these things. The periscope on one of these submarines, it really is basically two CCTV cameras facing in opposite directions with the perspex bubble over okay. the top. Like they're really rudimentary cobbled together well, things. That'll work. It would work. Um,
2: But actually, the advantage of them being cobbled together is that most of the time when they've reached their destination, they sink them. Earlier on this year, there was an instance of this, I think, uh, in March when the U.S. authorities caught a narco sub which had 5.5 tons worth of cocaine in it, which was worth 194 million dollars and the people on it, they immediately scuttled it, so they sunk it, and that means you can't really get them for anything because the cocaine's now on the bottom of the ocean, so you don't really have any evidence that they were smuggling cocaine. And then, as oh, a the Coast Guard, yeah. you have to save them, so you get these three bedraggled coke dealers onto shore, <laughs> and, and they're, they're like,
0: just like... We were just having a swim, <laughs> <and> <laughs>
3: <laughs> About half of Somali pirates are immediately freed mm. when they get back to shore. How come? Really? It's very hard to find people who are willing to try them and imprison them for the right length of time, uh it's hard finding evidence. It's yeah, it's really maddening for the authorities. Wow. Yeah. No. So you just get a lift back to shore if you get a free meal or two.
2: And there's not evidence enough that you got the skull and crossbones <laughs> flying. I <No. any laughs> more than that, do they? You've no. got a parrot on your shoulder. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> no. Submarines
3: used to have their own newspapers. Did they? Yeah. There's a whole book of extracts from Submariners
1: newspapers. Did they not they get printed.
2: quite l- wet in the delivery process? Uh, well, the. <laughs> 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 oh,
1: that's a hell of a paper round, isn't it? <laughs> 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 um, no, how yeah. did it work?
3: Uh, they would just print them on, on board. They did not. Oh. The Submariners would write and produce their own newspaper. Yeah, we did. Sub editor.
1: Actually, they had a newspaper in the trenches as well, didn't they? Yeah, mm. like Wipers th- Times. Yeah, You uh, know about that, I don't know
3: about that. Well, the, uh, they, there was a group of soldiers who found an old printing press and they just repurposed it and started printing. And it's really satirical. So Ian Hislop and Nick Newman uh, of Private Eye wrote... Uh, a tv thing about it which has now become a play actually and it's uh yeah it's traveling around the country but they, it was very satirical like loads and of it was
2: well it was wipers times wasn't it because it was Ypres, it was a mispronunciation yeah. of Ypres, so oh. it was them um, trying to have a laugh and it's i think funny. in
3: the face of real horror mm. it was so the the flamenwerfers the flamethrowers that the german troops were using would cause you know horrible horrific disfigurement and injury and death mm. uh, and yet in the wipers times they ran a little advert all these flamenwerfers it started off with is your boy a practical type?
1: Um, <laughs> oh, uh, <laughs> it's wow. really, you know. Um, yeah. During World War Two, the submarines around Japan would swim along and look for a better pistol shrimps because pistol shrimps make tons of noise by snapping their claws really, really loud. And by going on these it meant that the Japanese sonar couldn't find them because they yeah. would just hear the pistol wow. shrimp. Ah,
0: did we only find that out after the war or did, that, well, did they uh, then start looking mm-hmm. for pistol I, shrimps? I only found off. that out
1: on Reddit just now so, <laughs> oh. I, don't it, so <laughs> uh, I don't know is it breaking news a lot of them are still down there <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
2: Uh, no it came out after the war I think I okay. think it was quite a long time after the war I think yeah. it was in the 70s or something okay. when they first studied it
3: that's very clever yeah um, do you know what you get called if you're on a submarine in the Royal Navy but you're not a submariner you get called an oxygen thief Gosh I know There was a a really interesting article On the Guardian About um, life on a submarine They told the author Do you know We've got a badger On board the submarine We picked it up at this point And uh, we're feeding it looking after it And finding enough food for it And it was not true Uh (laughs) Um, (laughs) But this guy the, The writer said I was really starting to believe that there was a badgerable, because you have to entertain yourself. You have to, com- you know, come up with sort of jokes and games and ideas, and
1: you yeah. know, it's very much. But in a time when you're calling non-submariners oxygen thieves, you wouldn't <laughs> think you'd have a yeah. menagerie <laughs> of animals on there. <laughs> <laughs> that just reminds me that we might have said this before. You sometimes get penguins towards the North Pole because um, sailors have taken them as pets in oh. the South Pole, and they kind of just bring them up, and then they get a bit annoying, and they just let them go.
2: Oh <laughs> wow. <laughs> I d- you imagine people who are in the Arctic are responsible geographers or environmentalists or something, not people who just, like, yoink a penguin up and take it with them.
1: <laughs> don't tell me if you went sailing down the South Pole and you saw a penguin there, you wouldn't go, Ah, oh, I might just I keep definitely
2: up. would. I don't deny that. But I'm not qualified to be doing that job. That's why they
1: keep on turning
3: down your application, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Sole <do> purpose I... <laughs> of visit. <laughs> Pick up a <the> penguin. <laughs> Can we talk a bit about drug smuggling? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um. So JFK Airport has a drug loo which is specifically for people who've been suspected of drug smuggling to go to when they pick you up they x-ray you and if it looks like you've got drug cylinders in your body yeah um oh, they say wow. go to this loo because it automatically washes um the pellets of drugs which people expel right. whereas in the old days officers had to uh, manually sift
1: this oh, is the new, wow. basically, the modern day necessary woman, isn't it? Yeah.
3: Yes. Yeah. Yes, it is. It's the auto toilet, which just washes the packets. And so right, there you go. But what <laughs> is,
0: so what if you say, oh, but I don't need to go? And then they say, well, well, wait. like, how long can you hold off claiming constipation before you actually go? I don't know. They'll just wait so they'll just wait. Yeah, Yeah. I don't think they say, well, he's past the half an hour (laughs) limit, so (laughs) nothing we can do. Um,
3: Mary Roach says that on long flights, so Mary Roach writes these great books, and she wrote one called Gulp about Mm. the the gut and the stomach and everything. Uh She says that on long flights, sometimes flight attendants will pay attention to who doesn't eat anything, because if you've got 50 heroin capsules swallowed you Mm. don't want to eat anything and often you've taken anti-diarrhea medication to keep yourself bunged up and you don't want to do anything which will cause you to go to the loo because obviously if you pour out all the heroin on the flight it's a big problem when you get into <laughs> the other end.
2: Yeah. <laughs> just one thing on smuggling drugs across the um, US-Mexico border and this was that, that people come up with various uh, imaginative ways of getting drugs across the border so they make catapults very often mm. um, sometimes they make bits of air propulsion that can fire them over cool. and then there was someone who was found in 2012 just trying to drive a bunch of cocaine over <laughs> the border in a Jeep Cherokee but there's a huge fence so they made a makeshift ramp on either side <laughs> and they drove up one ramp and then they they got stuck <gasps> in their jeep on top oh, so yeah. there are some really good pictures you can look them up of a, so of a jeep funny. just hovering on top <laughs> of a fence and then the police eventually turned up and there are two guys just trying to get this jeep down from on top of a fence <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, no.
1: there was a politician who was one of the early people to say there should be a big wall between america and mexico uh, luckily that idea went pretty quickly <laughs> <Yeah>. didn't <laughs> it? Um, but he decided to, as a publicity stunt to get an elephant and a mariachi band to cross the border well, to uh, sort of prove that you to can to get anything through. To prove that you can get anything through. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Uh, he was called Raj Peter Bakter, and he also, as well as being a politician, had appeared on The Apprentice oh. in America. Oh. Really?
3: Oh. Wow.
2: Everything is connected. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh,
3: also, one last thing. on. Um, so people who uh, have to smuggle drugs on their bodies... Right. So the practice of putting them up your the bottom is called rectal stuffing. Is it? is the technical name for right. it. Just like a that hor- tec- I mean, rectal's <laughs> technical. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, stuffing you just wait. is Thanksgiving meal.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh, <gosh>. Sage and <laughs> onion or rectal. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
3: but the website PopSide did a whole piece about this uh, practice and the sort of trickiness of it, because um, obviously the rectum stores feces, and then when it's stretched enough, it sends a signal to your nervous system saying you have to go to the loo now. But they interviewed a chap called William Whitehead from the University of North Carolina who's an expert in these things and he says that you might actually be able to increase the capacity by putting drugs up there and end up with what he called a (laughs) (laughs) mega-rectum.
0: It's time for a final fact of the show and that is Andrew Hunter-Murray.
3: My fact is that in the Greek Odysseus myth... He escapes the Cyclops by hiding under one of the Cyclops' sheep. Mm -hmm. In the Apache version of the same myth, he escapes by hiding in the anus of a buffalo.
0: (laughs) Mm. (laughs) I like that the, the Cyclops is a shepherd. Yeah. yeah, I just never thought of him doing sort of menial tasks or sort of like running a farm. But and it must be deal. hard
1: because he can't judge Someone's the good. distance of his sheep because he's only got one eye. Oh yeah, oh, so he doesn't know how nice. far away they are. Oh, oh, good
0: point. Wow! So that Father Ted joke about the size of a cow mm. that would actually yeah. be a reality for him. Yeah, Maybe he doesn't
1: sh- get that joke. <laughs> right? Yeah, he's <laughs> like,
3: yeah, makes sense. <laughs> this is a myth that goes back, and uh, there's a French anthropologist called Julian uh, uh who has studied. Myths and he's studied a particular ethnic group who have gone around the world uh for thousands and thousands of years, and he reckons it goes back eighteen thousand years yeah. and there 's always a, the same version of the story is human goes into a monster 's house to steal something. the monster gets home uh, and he has a herd of wild animals, and he finds the humans and he locks the humans in somehow, and then he waits by the door for the man to kill him as the humans start to leave, and the humans escape yeah. using the herd of animals. Mm-hmm. So in the Greek version, they blind him and then they hide under the sheep and the Cyclops feels the sheep as he goes out. Ah. And then in the Apache
1: version, <laughs> the hero gets into the anus of a buffalo. <laughs> <and> <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it does the same job, doesn't it? It does the job. <laughs> <laughs> it does <laughs> the job. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But actually, there is some cave painting in south of France in the cave of the Trois Frères. So there's a picture of a bison with an extremely distended rectum. <laughs> (laughs) Uh, And they think that that might be part of this story as well. So actually, it's not just the Apaches. It might go back to ancient Stone Age European times. Is that picture the sequel uh, of that bison's (laughs) life story (laughs) once he got back out? And there's another bison going, how did you get like that? (laughs) You will not believe it. (laughs)
3: There's another theory that there are two main families of myth. They're called the Laurasian and the Gondwanan, and they're named after the two big supercontinents. And he reckons that one branch of humanity went north about forty thousand years ago out of Africa, Mm -hmm. right? And they, all of all the sheep anus stories, all of those come from there, right? Mm. And as that group moved around, so that's in Switzerland, it's in Scandinavia, it's in North America, it's in Greece, and lots of those myths are about kind of. The creation of the world, the rule of the gods, the rise of man, the end of the universe, that's it. Mm. The ones who went south and became, for example, the Australian Aborigines mm. are a completely different family. They're all about a world in w- which already exists. The world already exists. It's about the rise of man or the invention of right. man in Oh, uh, wow. Yeah, but both families have one thing in common, which is the massive flood myth. Mm. Where oh humans yeah. are punished in some way—that's the linking myth between these two mm. huge wow. groups. Most yeah.
0: most places have, uh, most ancient civilizations have a flood myth, which is so yeah. curious. Um, Those the Babylonians—they found on cuneiform, sort of, um, it, it was the measurements for effectively an ark, a noah's yeah. ark. wow and this is in babylonian cuneiform time it's yeah. it's
1: it was like a coracle wasn't it it was more of a circular thing rather yeah. than the biblical one which is x cubits by y cubits by z cubits yeah which is more of a square
0: yeah they actually rebuilt it there's a documentary you can see irving finkel who's a british museum curator actually managed to decipher the exact measurements and they they tried to rebuild it a very sci-fi to be a sphere as an ark. yeah it's yeah. cool. true just going back very quickly to talking about how would the Apache have managed to get this myth. Um, it's so interesting that, like, in recent archaeology, we keep learning more and more about cultures colliding way before we realize. And did you guys see that story about the ancient Greeks? They're looking at the terracotta warriors, and they're suddenly thinking that ancient Greek artists were involved in helping in the making of of uh of the terracotta Whoa. army and i asked a historian friend uh if that had any credence to it and he said absolutely it's it looks like very convincing looks extremely convincing and Whoa. this is way before marco polo this is way before the first time we ever thought that they'd had proper contact mm. culturally wow yes yeah.
3: i've seen the terracotta warriors yeah, yeah. Uh, i saw them in london well I d- okay I saw
0: they're them just in, in st james's I park <laughs> <I saw them. laughs> used to throw things at them <laughs> to knock them over uh, oh really
1: so you went to where they actually I are I went to Xi'an <laughs> in cool. China their which natural
2: habitat their natural <laughs> habitat <laughs>
3: and they're in these huge long it's like, it's like a it's much bigger it's bigger than a football pitch this massive long hangar that you see them in and they're in trenches and they're all lined up facing the same way hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds. And, um, and they're finding more and more aren't they they're finding mm. terracotta acrobats and terracotta yeah. jugglers and sort of this whole society really? well they haven't yeah, yeah.
0: They, they know that. That there's they've probably unearthed. I think it's something like a tenth of how many they actually believe are gonna they're gonna be unearthing over time. They've just been doing it really slowly. It's amazing. Yeah, it's so cool. And the first emperor's tomb, which supposedly is a mercury lake uh, on the inside, because he was obsessed with the elixir of life, and that mercury was the main mm. thing. Um, they found a spot that they think might be where he's buried, and using detection, the mercury levels suddenly go woo, up on the dial like Ooh. really high. So they they think they might have found where wow. he is buried and where it could be true, the myth of the Mercury Lake. That's very cool. That was yeah. a really
1: good impression of a Mercury detector by the way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, do you Just quickly, do you know what colour the sheep were that um, Odysseus escaped on? No. It might head had their Jay-Z blue? Ah, <laughs> You're actually quite close. You're closer than James. Um, they're violet coloured, <laughs> really? if no. you believe Homer. So this is this weird thing about the Odyssey where uh, all of his descriptions, his colour descriptions, don't really equate with th- what colours are. So like the wine-coloured sea honey is described as being green Um, Hector's (laughs) hair is dark blue Um, and yeah the sheep are described as being violet in China
0: there are blue sheep which are in secluded bits of China and they constantly try to make documentaries on them
3: but the government <laughs> the government, <laughs> There are now documentary makers making documentaries about the documentary makers.
0: Just sheep going, no comment. <laughs> I think what it is is that there are certain areas of China that have been closed off by the government for people going into and it just so happens that where they believe the blue sheep are, it's in a territory where you're not allowed to go right. so they can't get I'm, access. I, I only know it actually because remember Molly went over to China to make a documentary right. they were, they were, to try and make a documentary well, again, <laughs> yeah. again they couldn't they couldn't the whole thing fell apart as well while they were there but mm, they were
1: looking right. for blue sheep that's yeah. what so that's Molly Oldfield who uh, was one of the researchers for QI yes
2: Um, you can still see I was going to say you can still have a bath in but you can't but you can still see a bath that featured in the Odyssey wow isn't that what? cool so this is a bath that odysseus's son is bathed in and it actually still exists so it's in pylos uh which is on the western coast of greece and you can go and see it's a bathtub of Nestor, and it's still there it, uh, it's been around since 1300 bc it was all fake right so the story of what um, Homer's writing about, the Iliad and the Odyssey, are actually two, I think, of a series of eight stories of the whole Trojan Wars. And the only those two survived in full. But I think there are six really? more in fragments. Yeah. And the Trojan Wars really happened. Um, but then, obviously, they start getting crazy gods involved, which starts to become yeah. a bit fictional. But okay. yeah, Nestor's palace oh, existed so and Nestor's bathtub existed.
3: Okay, so there are ruins of Troy that they've yeah. discovered, aren't they? So yes. they know that it was a real place. Yes. Yeah. And that there were loads of cities which were destroyed yeah. or burned down or, you know, fell in war and then they build another one on top and they've got a kind of layer cake yes
2: because I think the person who discovered Troy initially got in loads of trouble because in order to discover it he destroyed (laughs) an equally valuable layer of archaeology on top of it which he just chucked away and
1: then that's book nine in the series
3: (laughs) (laughs) so in Greek mythology a lot of uh, you know weird and wonderful stuff happens and particularly Zeus turning himself into things in order to get off with women he turns himself into someone's husband which at least kind of makes sense uh, then he turns himself into a swan yep. To get off with Leda uh, Then some rain Was it not a golden shower? It's described as a golden shower uh, Which which, is, yeah. which used to be called just pink shower
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> And that's for Perseus, isn't it?
3: Uh, oh, I read Danae Oh, to, to make Perseus Sorry, to make Perseus Yeah, you're absolutely right uh, Then as a bull So this mm. is really interesting He disguises himself as a bull To get off with Europa Right? And Europa is the mother of King Minos of Crete oh. Yeah? So King Minos of Crete, his mum has had sex with a bull. But then his wife, Pacify, falls in love with a bull, which is a punishment from the gods because he, sa- he tries to trick them and send them an inferior sacrifice. It's never worth doing in the Greek myth. They always find out <laughs> <laughs> this is an inferior sacrifice. They never don't <laughs> um, But So not only has his mum got off with a bull... His wife has now fallen in love with a bull. It just must be so embarrassing for him.
0: It's Ama- a
2: real curse. It, it is. is. Imagine
0: it is. what bad luck it would be if you're trying to make an escape and you happen to pick the wrong bull's anus to climb into. <laughs> it turns well, up... And you
2: find your mum in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, that's it. That is all of our facts. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to get in contact with any of us about the things that we have said over the course of this podcast, we can be found on our Twitter accounts. I'm on at Schreiberland, James... At shaped Andy, at Andrew Hunter M, and Anna.
2: You can email podcast at QI.com.
0: Yep, or you can go to no such thing as a where you can listen to all of our previous episodes. You can also go to our group Twitter account and send us a message on that. That's at QI podcast. And also, you can go to no such thing as the which is our current topical news based TV show, which is currently still going out on the BBC every Wednesday night on BBC Two after night We'll be back again next week with another episode. We'll see you. Then goodbye.
2: Hi, all. Okay, look, James and I admit that maybe there aren't any flamingos in St. James's Park. Our further research tells us now what we need to do about this is either you lot if you have any photographic evidence that there have been flamingos in st james's park you need to send it to us quickly so that we feel vindicated and if you don't and it turns out there aren't any there and there never have been and we were confusing flamingos with pelicans because we're idiots then you just have to never ever tell andy that he was right okay see you next week